This is the At 530 on Main podcast. I'm Sean Collins. And I'm Mike Davis. And we're here to discuss the convergence of digital and physical experiences in today's world. With Extend Group as an expert in designing online experiences and VPS Architecture, an expert on creating physical experiences, you will hear unique discussions on technology, theory, and more that merges our separate areas of expertise into one podcast experience. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy today's At 530 on Main podcast episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the At 530 on Main podcast here at the Extension Studio in downtown Evansville. Today in the studio, we have Tara Blessinger. We have Mike Davis of VPS Architecture and Sean Collins from Extend Group. Tara is a UX and visual designer. She has over 20 years of design experience. She's designed for Sony, uh, Mobile Oil, U.S. News and World Report, One Main, and various hospitals. She's very active in the Cook Family uh, Children's Museum here in downtown Evansville. Uh, she is currently a UX and UI designer at Indiana Cardinal. She owns her own design group, Blessing Your Design. She's a visual storyteller, and she is driven by a need to understand and influence her audience. She utilizes abstract and strategic thought, but remains grounded in concrete details. Tara is a great uh, artist. She's a friend. She's a mother, uh, wife. She's a community advocate. What I love the most about uh, Tara is is that uh, that involvement in in the community and all things visual and experience. When we're here to talk about uh, what experiences are, both traditional and digital, Tara is is a great uh, resource to have on the podcast. Tara is, as I said, a, a visual artist. So whether it be photography or design, she can tell us about uh, how design has evolved over the years, utilizing technology. I'm sure she can go back to when it was uh, SketchUp and Hand and, and all those those pieces. But now, as she's went through her career, is now an official UX and UI designer, all online. And we're excited to have her in here. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Tara. Thank you, Sean. Glad to be here. What's going on over there, Mike? Oh, it's going. Yeah, it's, it's going. Yeah, it's Friday. It's Friday. Right. Yeah. Are we going to have dates on these? I guess dates. <laughs> um, you know, date mates. You know, this. I mean, this will be on video, and it might be spring, and I'll be wearing a sweater. Yeah. Like just like we recorded the whole thing <laughs> yesterday. Hey, look at here! It's, it's ninety degrees Christmas outside. Edition. And, Christmas yeah, in Christ- July. Yes, it is Christmas edition. Yes, it's the holiday season. Um. So the At 530 on Main podcast with Extend Group, VPS Architecture, it's really a a discussion around uh, consumer experience, both uh, in in traditional spaces and physical spaces and and how that has now uh, merged in and and some of the similar practices, similar uh, technology, similar things are, are now in as it was back when we started the design, it was all, you know, Mike, sketch, hand, work with the client and be able to visually communicate what the client is wanting to see through hand. And now it's went through and they have 
you know, automated software, they have Revit, they have all these, you know, internet of things that help them go through and decide what physical spaces should be, and they can deal with AR and VR and all those things. And as you know, in digital, those are all things that we've been looking at and how do we optimize those things, Tara? So um, I guess to start, what does experience mean to you? When you ask that question, I have a couple of things. Experience is my interaction with something, but it's also our interaction with something. So as a designer, I'm more focused on our interaction, but it has to also fulfill my interaction. Because I'm going to see it differently than you do, right. and you're going to experience something different than I am, but then we also experience together. Yeah. So when you talk about there's there's the me, we, and and all of that, that us world, designing, whether it be for web or, I mean, you do physical, you know, design for spaces, right? You work with hospitals and how you... How you make that space more appealing and 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 those areas is it where we're at today everybody says well you have to have the company culture and the company feel and all that before you get to our actual consumer so are we designing for the consumer are we designing for the user is it this big mashup there's you say the you and then there's the we how do we bring all that together? Well, and we do work with architects and we work with interior designers. So it is, part of it is, it has to fit the space. You're not going to go in and design for the children's museum at a hospital. Your user is very different. But at the same time, we are seeing that, especially with healthcare, that bringing nature and play and hope, sometimes into very sterile environments, yeah. um, is really important. It's statistically been proven. It's been studied. So we are bringing in brighter colors. I mean, when I grew up, there still was that hospital green that you knew what that meant. Um, it was very sterile, it was white and, yeah. and light green, light blue. Um, and now we're bringing in lots of color and lots of nature so that not only the healing is done from the medicinal aspect, but it's also done from a visual and experience aspect as well. Who's in the room when you go through that process of the, of creating that experience? Um, it can be various people. Sometimes we start with the textures and the fabrics and, and the interior design part because the architecture's already been done. But if it is a new build or uh, a remodel of sorts, then we may meet with the architect and walk through the physical space and the, the issues with oxygen and where there's going to be equipment that they can't move, you know, handicap bars, things like that. Uh, something as simple as you don't, ex you don't think about the experience when you're in a hospital bed. I've kind of a funny joke about that. We did several floors of a local hospital. And so we're figuring out the imagery and we match it to, you know, the, the paint colors and the fabrics and the textures. But it wasn't until I unexpectedly was laying in a hospital room that I found humor that when we framed the picture, we sat on the bed to say, where should the height be? Because the, the there's a dry erase board for the nurses. There is uh, a sharps box for, for, um, 
needle needles. fringes. All yes. That. So we're, you know, we've got a limited amount of space that we can put, you know, there's a big window. So, which is good. We're trying to figure out where to place this art. There's a, cha- a high back chair. So where does it go? So we're sitting on the bed and we're looking at the walls and we're figuring it out. So it wasn't until I laid in the bed that I called my friend, uh, Chris Jackson, and said, we should have put, we mounted the pictures an inch higher. And it was just because I was laying in the bed. Yeah. So, and it was a joke. The picture was fine. But with the frame and with the space and laying down horizontally instead of being vertical, it changed my experience. So it's little subtle things. So we work with various people. With uh, We also work with hospital staff. We work with the nursing teams. So some of them, the visuals are just as important. for They see them every day, all day long. Uh, so we also work with their teams and the nursing teams to kind of get their input as well. So give me uh, an example of, of one of the projects, like visually. Give the listeners like a – uh, a synopsis of one of the projects maybe that you've worked on in that hospital setting, Ver- like visually. What, paint a picture for it. Well, I've got two. Um, the first would be uh, a, not a simple, but uh, but pediatrics. So your target audience is from right after birth, a newborn, to age 18. So that's always, we always go in, well, it's got to be from birth to 18. But your 18-year-old is going to visit most likely, less frequently than your little ones that are going to get shots a couple times a year, and then they're toddlers, and they're going to they're going to be the doctor more. So you don't want to make everything so childlike, but you also want to, for mom who's bouncing a baby with a double ear infection, you want something in that room that they can talk about or play with or comment on or find different elements, find the red, find the blue, find the ladybug, so that it can become a little, not only so much a story, but they can have a story within their experience as well. Kind of helps the little kids migrate through kind of a bumpy time. Um, But you tend to make everything very bright and colorful and geared towards little kiddos. So as now I have a teenage daughter and we visit the pediatrics area, it is, you know, there's cartoons on the TV and all of the staff wear really bright, colorful outfits. And so my experience now seeing it through different eyes is very different than when some of the areas that I designed five, six, seven years ago when my child was younger. Yeah. It's also the experience of going to the room and from exactly right? because a lot of times they forget that mm-hmm. put all this stuff in the room but then the child wants to leave the room and parents got to walk around with them waiting on the doctor there's nothing out in the hallways well that's got to change too so you're talking about it's holistic design from the waiting room to the exam room to everything the full experience. and yeah well and in that uh, michael so what we have been doing is some of it because they do move equipment around or because they have scales where they weigh in the kids and and they have land uh, waiting areas with chairs you know those high back chairs is the art going to be in the way are they low are they are they benches where the kids are going to crawl it's have to be cleaned it's in a hospital mm-hmm. so all those things have to be taken into consideration so what we've started doing a lot of times too are full wall floor to ceiling experiences because you are in confined spaces with a, a a child who's confined, um, you want to be able to walk through something. It, it's a journey. So visually, floor to ceiling, you can experience yet another scene. If you know, because you're not going to have a window, right. and the window may lo- overlook the parking lot. <laughs> so we do use those spaces, but in a flat surface, but with a dimensional feel. Right. So, okay, my my children 
you talk about this experience. So are we going to have cots like in the hallway and as soon as like right outside the door? Because when my kids go to their pediatrician or they go to get an annual or they know they're going to get shots, they pass out in the hallway, they pass out, (laughs) you know, in the reception area, they pass out on the way, like they just have the big discussion of you just have to look at where we're going, why we're going, but how do you help? How does uh, a child that has major anxiety about what's getting ready to happen, how does what you're talking about impact that? Uh, we add nature. A lot of times things that give them comfort. So it may not be cartoonish or a giant illustrated frog. And it yeah. may be. It may be tied together. It may be dimensional, maybe flat surface. It may be um, instead of just chairs, they may be kind of padded. Um, benches, because yeah. little ones like to crawl. Other kids like to pass out. Um, you've got <laughs> a various assortment of needs. purpose yeah. Exactly. And and two, as far as cleanliness, you have to, you know, the textures of those things have to also be considered as well because of your user. Um, but we do try really, really hard to bring in a calming effect. Um, perfect example, we treat uh, pediatrics a little different than what we treat oncology. Mm-hmm. But with oncology, same thought process. It's a journey. You want someone to have hope. They are either getting scary news. They've already gotten their scary news. Um, they are relaxed because they didn't get scary news. It's a very heightened emotion time um, in someone's life or can be. So a lot of times those images, um, not only is it about color, we don't show a lot of yellow. Yellows typically can mean sunshine, but a lot of times it can also reflect sickness. Mm. So there's symbols too. There's If you're in a cultural situation, butterflies. Sounds great, right? Well, in some cultures, it's a rebirth, which means it's death. Mm. It's death and a rebirth. So you, in my culture... A butterfly is beautiful, but in a culture that we may serve in a, in a bigger demographic, right. it has a different meaning. So um, so we try to make sure that we are looking at, and, and as Mike said, a holistic view of not only the space, the needs of the hospital, uh, and what they have, like the different codes and things that all that stuff has to come into it. And whether it's triage or whether it's, you know, they have to have cart space and uh, rails for handicap accessibility, all those things are important. So we work around that, but try to make sure that we are um, journeying with that target audience in their experience. Yeah, because that's really what changed about our profession, I think, is that everyone had their silo. This is my silo. This is your silo. This, And by the time you got to... Even picking out art pieces, everything was already decided. So everything was an afterthought. And next, and each next step, right, costs money to because we have to. Oh, we got to change this because we didn't think about it here. So now we're getting back to where no, this is the team, right? This is everybody. This is how we're all connected, and we get everybody involved earlier, sooner. So have those discussions. Be thinking about them. Even if it – because you never – I don't think people understand just a piece of artwork on a wall, what that impacts, how many different systems mm-hmm. can it impact, and how the patient experiences it. Absolutely. And some of the stuff just as simple as when we print, you know, the inks, can they be washed with bleach? 
No, some of them can't. And the, and the mediums that they're using, is it approved not only for, you know, that the glue is going to adhere in an area that's going to be washed frequently, but is it going to have VOCs? Is there going to be any kind of off gassing? These are all really important things. So we can look, sit in a room and discuss and talk about things, but then execution is critical because otherwise we have to go back and say this didn't oh, yeah. work and it costs a whole lot of money to change your mind. And, and then you go, my favorite is always, hey, we're going to make this a great focal point of this of this space. It's going to be awesome, whatever. And then it gets built and there's a big, nice red right, uh, yeah. fire alarm strobe device right in the middle of the wall. Right it's in the like, middle well, of the horse's nose. Yeah, we could have put that, you know. 10 feet down, if only we would have known, and that would have been communicated early on. And so that whole – that that's definitely changing everything, mm-hmm. just as simple, simple as that. Well, and, and to that point, I actually just um, fixed a piece that they, they found out when they, they do a field measurement, or they do basically – they give me a rough architectural mm-hmm. measurement, and then they do a field measurement at the end, which is the, fi- the wall's final size. This is it. This is it. Right. So in that, when I did – we did a, a design for Henderson, uh, and so – one of them, and it's floor to ceiling, end to end, and it, the field measurement came back a little bit different. So we had to adjust the artwork. Not a big deal. But in that, some of it, what I do is where I know that there's going to be a cabinet that's going to be a built-in, and I know that there's a handicap bar on this side, and I know that there's a fire plug here, and I know that there's a light switch here, and that there's a little blinking, like when the power goes out, mm-hmm. there's a little blinking light that goes up there. So I put all those. I used to put them in gray when I would lay them out, because they would give me the dimensions, and I would lay them out my design so that it wouldn't be in the middle of you know the focal point and I quit doing it in gray because it became passive Mm -hmm. and people didn't even people looking at it would go okay I do it in hot pink so that that way there's no question when they see it that it is a hot pink this is where that counter is going to go and it is this high Mm -hmm. so that that way it doesn't become passive Right. In the environment that we're trying to represent. So, as we've, when I started the the introduction, you've you've had a long journey, you know, in your visual design career, um, which now includes UX and digital, from the you know way back in traditional, and we're sitting here talking about uh, we're talking about physical spaces. So, tell us. Uh, a, a little bit about your experience through this design journey of yours. It's been a journey. Yeah. I started in uh, in college and we were not even allowed on a computer until my junior year and that was the computer lab. Okay. And I'm le- I'm dominantly left-handed, but this says a lot about experiencing with computers. But then at the time, the cord for your keyboard and mouse were tethered to your keyboard. And it was only long enough to be on the right hand mm-hmm. side. So I came up in in an area where I wasn't I, it wasn't permitted to for me to be left-handed because the cord wasn't long enough. Oh. So, you know, now you can, your mouse is wireless and you can do it on this table. You could do it on your lap. You know, if you're sitting down on a couch, you can do it anywhere. You can use, you know, your keypad on your laptop. There's so many other options. All experience. Yeah. But it's it's journeyed and it was it started out in my education is in traditional design, traditional graphic design. So logos and billboards and and ads and all of those kinds of things, um, the print materials. And it's journeyed through where um, when I was 
exposed to UX. I'm like, what is UX? And it, and what is UI? What do those mean? Mm-hmm. And so going down that part of the path, I've always been in uh, where I did very large art pieces and for the Children's Museum and dimensional, three-dimensional pieces and packaging design. So I've always liked structure and, and I think really big. It was the first time in my life with mobile was a really, really big transition for me for design. It was very small. <laughs> so I was no longer sending files that were too gig and I wanted as much data shoved into that picture as I could so that the outcome was just beautiful. Yeah. I wanted it as tiny as it could be so it was it was an alice in wonderland kind of experience where everything some things were super super big and and needed to be really 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 high dpi Mm -hmm. and other thing and then mobile came and it was responsive and it was different (laughs) on an an apple than an android and then i heard about a pixel phone what is that Mm -hmm. so learning to understand all of those mediums and then being able to design across that board. I think mobile was kind of the biggest transition, which seems really simple because this morning, just sitting at the stoplight, two girls next to me looking at their phone. Everywhere you go, and it's now my calendar, it's my calculator, it's Mm -hmm. so many things in one. So journeying through something that's about print and billboards and logos and fonts and, and pictures and photography, to all of a sudden something that's now streaming animation and video and uh, apps and all of those things. It's not only a new way that we communicate, but for designers, we had to learn new ways to do business. Right. So everything from the way we advertise and and some of the social media structures to, I remember, I think, Sean, I was probably working with you a little bit. I remember one day I woke up and I was like, print is dead. (laughs) <laughs> and it's not, but so much, so much of my revenue of uh, and stream of revenue was just all of a sudden it was just gone. Yeah, overnight. And I, I just woke up one morning and I was like, it's gone. So what do I do now? Well, that's why we sit here today. Exactly. Um, you know, I was in agency worlds, and you know, there was this thing called digital, and actually, it was more interactive. It was called interactive, you know, it was the interactive department, because we interacted with the screen, with a mouse, Mm -hmm. or whatever. And today, it's funny, because it's went digital, but to me, today, it's more interactive than it ever was, Mm -hmm. because now we actually see it, you know, it can track eye movements, you know, we can um, touch it, scroll it with our hands, do whatever. So it should be, to me, more interactive. It should be interactive media than digital or whatever it is. But then, you know, the purists will go, it's all design or it's all communication Mm -hmm. or whatever that is. But where we're at today, I mean, going to even smaller, you know, we have the watch. And then, you know, if you're a big fan of, uh, of those influencers and, some of the people that are out on the forefront, you hear Gary V, and you're talking about voice search, and he's talking about contacts, and he's talking about, you know, we will be separated from this phone mm-hmm. in the future, um, how that works. Can you be, when, when all this is happening, can you be a siloed, experienced designer, whether you're an architect or a UI, UX designer, or physical space, or graphic, just graphic designer, can you be siloed? Well, that's what I was going to actually ask, because you talked about how we did hand sketches back in the day, and 
our professions come in full circle. You know, we used to have, if you will, look at old pictures, Frank Lloyd Wright and all. Mm-hmm. Everyone gather around. Here's what we're doing. He sketches everything out. And now the whole team knows the direction and they go. Then it became siloed. No, I do this. You do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we're getting back to, no, sketch everything out. Have a meeting. Everyone knows the direction. Everyone goes, even though it may be a small part you're working on. Mm-hmm. But that initial meeting where everything's being sketched, thought out, saves you so much time. Then when you're in silos, right, not communicating, not uh, getting that interaction going. Well, but I I agree 100%. But I think that that part where we were siloed was the first step in um, personal laptops, personal private computers. And you had the ability to work independently. Yeah. And and you it allowed you to think independent, to work independent, and it took away kind of that team spirit. Um, and then, and I've even seen that in the corporate world where now everything before, you know, it was kind of um, everybody got their assignment, they went and did it, and then you came back and things didn't gel. Mm-hmm. And with languages and with the, the movement and the speed that everything has to, whether it's sol- solving a problem that's a hot topic or forecasting for the future, how to grow from there. We're now coming back and they are doing, you know, team meetings in the morning. People rally together. What are you working on? It helps not only keep people keep keep people on track with their project, but it also helps that whole project. It's an ecosystem. Yes. And it becomes very natural. And it's it's already built into us. It's already a natural way. It's a communal way to live. But so many of these devices have allowed us to become isolated. Yeah. But I think we're kind of, I think the pendulum's swinging a little bit and we're kind of coming back. And we are having more of a communal, even if it is a digital communal, um, we're communicating uh, in a group. Well, and I think for us, it's our clients, right? In kind of the same way, they're pushing faster timelines, cheaper costs. Do it efficiently. We're not redesigning this after it's already done. And so it's forcing everybody, at least in our world, start working together, right? Figure everything out up front because we don't have to deal with this on the back end. Right. Well, I'm going to go back because obviously I had a squirrel moment, as I typically do. And we talk about we're sitting here, like we're sitting here in Extend Group um, because when we were interact you know interactive media and then there was the traditional department and there was the video department Mm -hmm. and it was very competitive but yet you know everything was driven by the sales and the account management teams and then you had the creative director you had the art director and then you have the designer and then you have the production artist you have the copywriter you have all those you know tactical pieces and a very structured day like you walk in and there's a piece of software called clients and profits that everybody was using and and i knew when i walked in that morning that i had three hours for this i had two hours for this this deadline was this this was here and that was all i'm you know that's all i'm really to look at so when you talk about like the future of physical and digital what does that look like, the experience for our clients? I mean, that used to be like agencies did not work with other agencies and they did not like Extend Group is basically, we are Extend Group. We're an extension of collaborative efforts that come together as a group to basically move our clients, you know, challenges into solutions. So we, we're, we're not a staff of 75 people. We've always been this, hey, I want to bring Tara in, I want to bring this writer in, and I want to bring in this mobile developer, and we're all going to be collaborative in that space. But 
it was so hard when we even started Extend to say, oh, we're a collaborative group and we're going to come in because we supported agencies at the time. Like we were in-house, out-house, uh, out-of-house digital groups. So we'd work for like seven different agencies where we would come in. I would go in and interact with their client, then go back and talk with their talk with our team, which was actually their team, and then go and create the solution, take the solution back, pitch it to the actual agency at the time. And then they could, you know, mold that. Then we would build it into our proposal. Our proposal would be meshed into theirs. And then we go and I go and pitch it on behalf of the agency. Then it comes back and then it goes outside again. It seems even in when I, I talk to Mike daily, it's about architecture and we're talking about construction and we're talking about how the space like this is all now everybody is in a room because the agencies at the time didn't want that connection and they didn't want to work together um, they wanted very much everything to be internal because that's my client this is my thing is it is it that way today I mean can it continue on that we're all siloed and this is my client and this is the only only way and in the client experience of whatever we're building or designing can we all be siloed no, no. <laughs> <laughs> the short answer is no no yeah. do people still try and do it yeah yes. do we have the old school new school clashing but to me if you want if you're moving forward in our world it's it's a team you got to build the team up front and if you're doing that you're doing a just like your visionary, Sean, yeah. it's a group, and this is the team, and the on our only mission, our only goal is that that client is happy at the end, and they get their product, uh, what they wanted. Yeah, and I agree. On on t layered on top of that, I also working at corporate, you worked with the people that were in that building, in that structural building. And I've seen corporations grow now where there are multiple campuses and they're across the globe. Yeah. And it's not about everybody's going to work from home because that has a different meaning in itself as well. But as Mike said, you're going to, for different projects, you're going to pull in different team members that best fit the needs of that project. Yeah. If you've got a project with a ton of glass work, you're going to have an architect that works really, really well in that product and, and, and they know how to do it. And that's their area of expertise. So you tend to bring in um, people and or groups or companies that work best to fill the niche of that product, that process, that team, that project. Yeah. So you're kind of, you're trying to bring in the best of all of it, the best of yeah. all to, to the surface. And so I, so will people work remotely? Yes, absolutely. They do now. And their yeah. forecasting is just going to get more and more. So it's not about working from a home office, but you know, and I'm not saying you're working from Starbucks. I can't, I don't know how effective you can be at every <laughs> right. coffee shop in town, but at the same time you are bringing in, the best but to I think work it, on that project. Kind of the old school mentality used to be, oh, we got to go get somebody that can do renderings. Well, now why not just have somebody that does renderings? Let's get right. We got to go find interior designer that's really strong at art. Well, okay, now you have now you're you're limited on what they can do. So we need more well-rounded people, and then to find somebody else that can just collaborate when we need them on those projects. And that's how you start pulling people in. But in order to build these effective teams, like I, I see like at Extend when we do uh, 
we do the whole, you know, from A to Z for a brand. Yeah. Um, and we go, writer, internal writer, um, has zero experience in, let's say, um, EFI, electronic fuel injection. We're going to do a whole thing on inject. We're launching a new line of injectors and then uh, rails and the whole thing. Like, here, go write this. And our deadline is in three weeks. We really need to have those extensions of that professional that knows exactly about that that can be plugged right in and go right to it. Now, we have some phenomenal writers that, you know, come in, bang out the research and can really get that done. But there are those categories that that we need that um android iphone yeah absolutely um we have developers that do just native ios and then there's other ones that are android Mm -hmm. um but at the same time i i totally agree that that it's best that when it comes to who's on that team uh, it is best that they are part of that team so that they, they can communicate. And that was the one thing that I, I jotted down. Uh, when we have these new, these new experiences for our customers, like whether it be an architecture or a website project or whatever, and we have all these external teams coming together, how do companies attack that culture and and that get rid of that because now it's, Hey, I'm working with this person. I'm working with this person. And you know, everybody is, is there's always that wall up and, you know, extends going to be there and, you know, agency Z is going to be there for search or whatever it is. And we all have to come together and it's all for the best of the client, but who facilitates the discussion of, and, and whose responsibility is it for, creating a collaborative culture within that team. It gets complicated. Yeah. <laughs> so whoever's yeah. leading the project. Because I think the old school way is we're all in house. We're a one stop shop. You don't have to go. Yeah. You know, and then you talk and then if you brought someone on board, you're like, no, no, you're not talking to the client. That's my client, right? Mm-hmm. Because fear of stealing I mean well, there's also, I don't want to bring him in because I don't want him to know how we do it. Right. You know, that that's like our best kept secret. So right. why would we bring in somebody to sit hand in hand with us? So it does get a little complicated. So my ideas are, of course, best in theory. Yeah. But when it comes practicality, and then also you're talking Midwest, Evansville, Indiana area versus Houston or New York. I mean, th- the way that I see and work every day could be very very different if i lived in mm-hmm. in a different geographical location yeah. yeah makes big difference mike switch up this conversation okay i've got it everywhere we'll jump off we'll <laughs> jump back into so sticking with design what's something you use or utilize every day that's well designed that you would say it, it this is just amazing that was a really hard question for me because if it's designed well you don't notice it it's intuitive, it's yep. natural, and you just expect it to be there. So when I was working corporate and we were doing software design, so often we would hit bumps, you know, where does the button placement? Where is, you know, the thumb swipe? How, you know, where are things on mobile? How does it translate with the whole flow of the project? Is it a next button? Is it a, you know, uh, finish now, pay now, purchase now, order now? What does the button say? So in that, you all those little finite details go into something to make sure your experience is smooth. So 
I don't notice things that are really well designed until I've experienced something that's very poorly designed. And so it's kind of, I don't really have a solid answer. Of course, I'm going to say technology because, you know, I use my phone, I use my laptop every day. Uh, But at the same time, I don't have one particular thing. And I'm a nature girl. I'm really, when I'm off the clock, I'm outside. So there's so many things I draw from nature that, you know, I either bring into my work or I just, that's where I like to be. But when I'm on technology or I'm using a microwave or a wash machine or a dishwasher, there are things that are natural about the way we use them. And then you've you hit things, bumps in the road where <laughs> things are quirky. And what is that? What does that mean? Something as simple as uh, we, I call every copy machine Xerox. So, and some of them, you put your paper, paper horizontally. Some of them you put them vertically. And it's just a different experience, whether it is a Canon copier or a Xerox copier. So we experience things differently, but yet we still expect a natural or a norm to what we experience. And you don't, I don't notice it until... It doesn't work right for me. So we um, in my journey, we've also done a lot of testing. For hospitals, we test colors. We test. There's a whole theory behind it. We study. We do studies on why people do what they do and what works and what the patient needs and what type of patient is it in corporate design um, and in mobile design and application and software design, we study completely something different and why it works. And then we also, your viewpoint is different than my viewpoint is different than Sean's. So often then you go in and you do study groups and you have them test, you know, small group, whether it's management level, people out in the field that are going to use it, whether it's a blind study, does it work the way you expected it to work? And it's not, does it work the way I want it to work? Because that's about me not yeah. the we, it's about does it work the way you anticipated or expected it to work through the users, that particular user group. So, um, yeah, I can't say that I have <laughs> one particular, oh, it works so well for me. There's lots of things that work well for me every day. And as I grow, you know, some of the things my daughter can do quicker than I can. Why is that? She didn't get a manual any different than I did, but just her intuitive ability to navigate um, through some of the devices that we use daily, mm-hmm. it's just faster, to be honest. So um, it's the things that don't work that I take notice of more than the things that do. Yeah. So it's kind of a – I answered it in a roundabout way. How about that? Well, yeah. Sound like nature. Nature, you think nature's designed very well. <laughs> I think we have the best creator. And it, and it is. It's I, I find – Beauty in this. I'm a gardener, so I find beauty in the simplest. The color of a radish when it's pulled from the soil, amazing. Not the same radish you buy in the store. And I'm not saying that the radish in the store is bad. I'm just saying there are just there's brilliance and color that is made so pure, and we take so much for granted. So I, I just draw back to that. The fall leaves in the fall. You know whether it's kind of a dull fall or where it's a really vibrant fall. It's all an experience. And so some of those things, you know, the feel of air, we, it sounds silly, but when you feel air and then you're in an area where you don't feel air, mm-hmm. you know, it's a mm-hmm. different experience. So it's just the real subtleties of life I think yeah. are really beautiful. And it is in a lot of our profession, some of it is the nature, right? The structure of nature and how things are structured and that they're even the structure of a leaf and how can that be a building and how can that be a space, you know, and how can... You use the simple structure to build our structures. I mean, our structures were div- 
driven by economy, right? Concrete, cheap, do it. Throw some rebar in it. You're going to get a lot more block form, but nature isn't a block. Nature is organic, and but the structure is so much better. It is, and there's simple things like um, my bees did die. They didn't weather well a couple years ago. But just watching not only the the community of bees and how they fly out and how they have different jobs and they mm-hmm. all do their job and how they come back and how they and see the pattern of how they fly in and and then opening it and seeing the structure of a comb and how all of that is a symphony. It's so beautiful and it's so simple. And I am getting bees in the spring. But <laughs> right. uh, yeah, they just didn't because the kind of bees I got are great for honey production, but they can if it's a hard winter they don't they don't right. weather, weather well with the with the weather. So then what's a What's a space that makes you emotional? I thought about that one, too. And to be honest, it goes back to when we lived in Washington, D.C. I worked there, worked in Georgetown, busy, busy population, lots of things, lots of technology, lots of current, you know, current events and um, a lot to do and see. The most, if I had to pinpoint a place that really, that just memory wise, that made me emotional, it was the Holocaust Museum. And it's not for the reasons you think. The, of course, it's very emotional. It captures history. It captures just the sadness of what man can do to one another. But it was the first time. It was, I even made. I looked it up. It was in 1993. You know, if Go back. That's a mm-hmm. while ago. That was before a phone, before we had mobile phones uh, the way that we know them today. Uh, it was an immersion experience. So when you walked in, they gave you a little card, and it had a person on it, and it and they had their little a short little biography about the country they were from, and whether they were Catholic or Jewish or or any of the details that they had, and then it had their picture, and then the elevators were made to look like the ovens. It was so then you go in this elevator, and then your experience begins. And this was 1993. I had never experienced. I've been lots of museums, and I had been to New York lots of times and experienced really big, bright lights and all of it in London. But I had never experienced an immersion experience. So walking through that, and of course, the emotion of the the theme in general and the history but the experience was built different in a way that I had never mm. seen before. And so it was it that was it. That was it for me. Nothing yeah. else compares. <laughs> so what's uh on the flip side of that? What's the the stickiest content, the w- web app, the mobile app? What is the one thing that you can't get away from that that's bringing you back every day in digital? Um, believe it or not, it's not one particular thing. I like it, genres of all kinds of music. I like all kinds of apps. They have different purposes for me. Yeah. Uh, whether it is organizing my daily life and my to-do list, or whether it's the way I listen to music, or that's whether it's what I'm going to cook for dinner, or whatever it is. But for me, syncing. Syncing is a harmony that we have all taken for granted. Because from the designer end, from software... Yeah. It can get really hard. So, you know, and or you're driving in the car and all of a sudden you you don't even think about a cell tower being needed anymore. But when I go home and see my parents, which is only an hour away, there's a dead spot. And uh, Sean may even know we're the same dead I spot I'm talking. Exactly. Right around uh, Holland. 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 Yes. Right yes. there as you go over the hill. Sorry, Holland. You have light. a dead spot. Yes. So in that, you know, you just forget about that it syncs, you know, to my phone or to my laptop or, or my calendar of events. It all syncs. It's a harmony that is now presumed. 
and, and expected. And when those thinking things don't work, that's the one part for me that I that I notice. So it's not particularly an app or what I'm listening to or what I'm doing or or how I'm purchasing, how my my buying and my selling, none of that. It's about sinking. That's so important to me because I can sink wherever I'm at. I can be at the gym and you know, and working out and mm-hmm. I know what my calendar is for the next day. And yeah. same thing, I can be at work and yet I know that I, you know, need to wrap things up and get out on time because I've got three things this evening. And mm-hmm. so I just being in tune to my day, I no longer have to carry a paper cl- planner and haven't for a long time. But it's just been in, I don't know how long we've had sinking, but mm-hmm. in less than 10 years that I've been able to have that harmony across multiple devices. Yeah. Yeah. What impact of knowing that? How does that go into your daily, I am designing for this? When I worked um, corporate software, it was different. I noticed the little nuances that had to happen. And so I was very in tune about the details of how Spotify treated something or how when I'm at Amazon and I would study their checkout because yep. that's the way the services were. Now I'm working in plastics and it's really behind the scenes. It's a business to business. So it's really more about the softwares behind the scenes that aren't um, buying and selling, but they all, it has to be synced. And so um, just understanding the playground you work in and then being able to study, draw from either your personal life or do investigative studies or clinical researches to find those details that help you be the best designer for your target audience. Yeah. Yeah. So I know you are a huge community advocate. We've talked about that in the past, but how do you see what you do in design experience? How does that impact our community? It's huge. It's in everything we do. And actually, I'm working on an initiative now. Um, I think I can talk about it, so I'm going to. Um, We're doing the food desert is a real thing. And the promise zone is a real thing. And both of them, we were uh, awarded, allotted the promise zone status uh, by President Obama several years ago and here in Evansville, Indiana. So in that, we are looking to build an inner city, and I say inner city for lack of a better term, but it's in the food desert, um, uh, uh, geothermal greenhouses to feed. um, Where I work now, they do a lot of work with, um, it's factory. I'm in the office part, but it's a factory, and they manufacture and pellet plastic, recycle plastic. So the type of people that come often to work in a factory um, don't have degrees, don't have a career path, they are coming for work. So we also have taken several um, men. There is a woman who works out in the, in the plant, um, one of the plants, but who are coming out of prison reform or the jail experiences have had issues with addiction. And so we're helping them um, change the direction of their life with that. Some of that is food. If you think beer, cigarettes, and Cheetos are food groups, That's what you think. And so how do you change the direction of your life without changing the direction of your life? Right. So we're seeing that when we did a survey, I did um, the startup weekend out at USI. And just to kind of dip my feet in and understand what – who my audience was and I've served in food shelters for for many many years and have fostered kids from those food shelters uh, 
seeing that there's not a grocery store. We take first assumption that if I'm out of oatmeal, I can go get oatmeal now and go get it and be done in 15 minutes. But I have transportation and I know where to go and I have money and I have a debit card. All those things are critical points that we take for granted often. So the food desert thing with initiative uh, to help not only, first we'll start with the men in the plant or our workers, help them. We have a company store internally that they don't have to have transportation. The guys who work on night shift, where are they going to go? And guess what? Their wife or their mom is not packing their meals. So we have a company store that has everything from grab and go stuff from oatmeal and ramen noodles and, and the quick heat meals to, you know, more substantial produce and apples and lettuce and, and orange juice and eggs and milk and beef and all those kinds of things. But they help them with transportation. Uh, some of the guys, mopeds, they drive yeah. mopeds. But with that being said, the, I'm trying really hard to have design that has meaning and impact. And it did with, with my corporation work and, and my artwork in the hospitals. It all had meaning. It all had significance. But I'm, I'm seeing myself turn a little bit of a different chapter where it's going to be food and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be helping communities that can't always have the resources to help themselves. So design-wise, it will be structural design. It will be marketing design. It will be digital design. Because if you think about it, you can't just say, if we build it, they will come. Produce is perishable. Some of it has like a three-day life cycle. So how do we've even bought a food dehydrator so that zero waste, whether it's given out to food shelters and pantries, feed the people first. And then it goes to, you know, the shelters. If we've got overage of squash and overage of spinach, whether it's freeze dried, frozen, uh, so that nothing goes to waste. So that whole system is quite interesting and intriguing. Plus I love to grow things. So it's going to be a really, really, um, interesting journey. Yeah. Cause I always say that, you know, Money and jobs are great, but that's not really what's going to solve the problem. It's the resources because the resources, the lack of, thereof, a lot of times are what's causing the problem, like not being able to get a good job or a steady job, not being able to have money. So to me, those are always the, the end of the links in the chain. Mm -hmm. The beginning links, if you don't have any of those, you can't get to that and just saying, here you go. Right. Well, okay, got a job. How are they going to get there? When they get there, and then you know, they buy are, cigarettes right. and Cheetos. I mean, it's just it. You go back to conditions that are familiar. We all do, yeah. good or bad. Yeah, we but a lot of that is because, like you said, well, I can walk to the convenience store right there. I can't drive to Schnucks twenty miles away. I can't right. So it's again resources. Get those resources closer. They might make better decisions or want to. Because I think a lot of people want to, just they don't know what to do. Right. Exactly. And with that, there's a component that we talked about a little bit of community earlier where it crosses over. So you've got where it's feeding the employees. Um, it's also feeding a community in the surrounding area. But it's all that has to get done. So volunteers. So you've got people who um, are were very, very fruitful in their work and their career. And now they have more time and they would just like to volunteer. Yeah. And so it gives them an outlet and and and. Food heals not only not only just to eat it can heal your mm -hmm. body, but the growing of food 
it's the dirt is nourishing and a lot of our food is just processed and passed through really quickly and we're not getting the nutrients we need to have. But most importantly, it grows slow. And for people who've had a hard journey, whether it's been abuse of any sort or neglect of any sort, plants don't talk back. <laughs> and they're, they, you can kill them, but it's not with great consequence. And so you don't have to have education to be able to grow lettuce and spinach and radishes and potatoes. And, and there's something about it that it's slow over process. So it, during that time, as you watch it grow, you know, it changes you and you mm -hmm. heal. And there's a lot of things that be done. And you're bringing communities that normally would not socialize and mix together. You're bringing communities together in a way that is collaborative and fruitful um, every pun intended, but at the same time, you're meeting people. It, when I worked in volunteer and food shelters, I'm meeting a, a, a demographic and a people that I would have never typically been exposed to just by the nature of, of where I lived. You're talking to people, and that's, you know, that connection and that process and that long term. Um, been in digital for over 18, nearly 20 years. And it's always been to the next tactic, how quick can we convert and how, you know, what's the next funnel and what's the next tool and what's the next platform. And, and I'm so interested in uh, when people talk about marketing and they talk about communications and they talk about the brand, um, the culture that creates whatever that product is, is that brand. And I'm more interested today than ever of going in and I say, like when somebody says, hey, can I have a, can you just make me, make me that mobile app? Like, first question is why, like, why, why would we ever even consider like, what have you done to figure that out? And then can I talk with the team? Why would you want to talk to the team? And then now it's really going in and saying, if you want to build a better product, build a better brand, like we need to look at your internal communication. Like we we need to see what you're producing internally, and then that will externally, whether it be it'll be the best app then. But if we're not talking, people talking to people internally, and we're not going through those struggles and seeing what it looks like here, we cannot make an awesome product. We cannot make an awesome experience for a consumer. Um, because that it's going to be seen. You can have restaurant A and restaurant B and they're both the same physical space. They have the same plates. They have the same food product. They have the same thing. And if you have a culture that trusts and loves one another and then you have one that's turnkey, we got to get people in and out the door. It's a totally different experience. Mm -hmm. A which is the one that the entire team loves, trusts, you walk in and you feel it. You talk about feeling, like I walk into spaces now and just go, I just look for the feeling, like what's going on in here? I, I, and I, when I'm looking at, I look at what apps or I'm looking at a digital uh, campaign or a like what am I feeling when I see it? Um, that space and that team and how they all intermingle, it's not to me digital anymore. Like we talk about silos way, way back when we, we started this conversation. Um, team A is always the most, I mean, they're going to be the most productive. They're going to impact their community. Um, and I think until we as a 
design community are able to communicate that to our our consumer, our customer, we are going to have a hard time being able to say, well, show me the ROI on what you're doing. Well, guess what? We got to look a little bit internally and figure out before we go spend this on X, Y, and Z on this app, this social media, this CRM tool, this, like, how do we build a better team that communicates at the highest level, trusting and loving one another, and then taking that and applying that into someone who can take that and systematically go, oh, that's how we do that, and that's how we do that. And then that goes into a nice statement of work that goes into a product or a tactic. But until you have that, it's been a, a, eight, nine years of really trying to communicate that with your end consumer. It's still a struggle because I'm, no, I want to do business with you, and I want to do business with you today, and I want, you know, I've Ten thousand dollars to do this. Let's go. Take, you know, take your family to Disney World. You're going to have a, a better experience. So, uh, all right, I got real deep, real fast there. Let's go back to uh, personal. Give me, um, give me a person, product, or brand that has the most authentic, holistic design experience today. Like, give me who's doing it right. Oh wow, that's big. Who's doing it right? could be big, it could be small, it could be local, it could be national, mm-hmm. it could be global. From where you order the product, where you, how it's handed off to you, you know, what is it? Who's doing it right? It can be just an individual that's out in the community mm-hmm. doing it right. Mm-hmm. There's so many. I mean, there's, there's so, like I said, my experiences are, if the transaction or the communication is smooth, um, I don't. I just expect or assume or or have gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it's a new one that just came to mind because I could say, you know, Apple does it really well and across all their products. No, 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 no. It's a, a small company. They're based out of Utah. I know anything came out of Utah, um, but people don't know anything comes out of Indiana. So in that, they it's called um, e-file cabinet because my new company where, where I've been for several months, um, I realized they do have a paper issue. There's lots and lots and documents and, and histories of people. Well, I don't know, but she kept her files this way. And I don't know. Well, he, his files are over here. Sound familiar. And yeah. <laughs> Sounds very so familiar. I'm coming. So I was like, okay, how are we going to get a handle on this? And the owner of the company, I identified quickly that he does 95 to 98% of his work on his phone. So, you know, he's like, have you seen that? So people, you know, we're all always trying to figure out where these documents are and history and there's, you know, receivables and payables, but then there's all kinds of other things and everything in between. And this, um, it's basically a search engine and they, I like them because they don't compress your files in some weird format mm-hmm. that then they're dead to you. You can never get them out. Right. So you, what you put in is what you get out, whether it's six months from now or two years from now. They're your documents, but it's it's just it's smooth, it's slick, and it can all be done on the phone. <laughs> so a lot of them are out there, yeah. but a lot of them didn't have. They're meant for big databases, big mainframes, and they just didn't have mobile convenience. So um, they, I, I sing their praises today because they're my new bell and whistle for now. So, um, but like I said, you don't take notice until something really stands out or you find a solution to a problem you're having that you haven't been able to solve. 
Yeah. So my corporation before was humongous and had lots of people, lots of players, lots of developers, lots of departments and, and campuses. But when you go to a smaller segment and you don't have all those tools and features and whole teams of people working on that behind the scenes, you wear many hats. And I don't have a problem with it at all. I'm just trying to find the best solution. So um, that's it for today. So when you fi- find that best solution, because, you know, when you bring up that's exactly what's going on in our world, it always does. How do you find stuff? How do you? Well, They're we, wonderful. Call them. We struggle with, you You think of a solution, right? Mm-hmm. Because everyone sits down and tells you, this is what we want, this is what we need, and you listen to everybody, and then they come back and you go, okay, this is the solution. And then inevitably you'll have one or two people that go, I'm not doing that. That that that, that won't work. I'm not doing that, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, but you look, this is what we're just because it's new and they got to learn it, mm-hmm. right? You always got to learn something new. And that's yeah. why those things that are intuitive that have, and it's not about they copied the way, um, you know, Google Play, mm-hmm. they, they didn't copy. It's not about that. It's just an intuitive experience where it doesn't feel like there's a heavy learning curve. And that, you know, those, and with that, they do offer amazing training and one-on-one. And and some of those things are better than going to a site and trying to read through the FAQs. I remember when FAQs were born and we put them in accordions and we thought we were so slick and that that was just going to solve the world. And now I hate them. I want to talk to a real person. I no longer want to dig for 12 minutes to find out you still haven't answered my question. Mm -hmm. So learning those types of things. um, uh, But I have... I've got one very interesting um, segment to that that I'd like to add. So I went to New York and studied with Milton Glaser years ago. And, he, you know, wow, Milton Glaser, living graphic designer, yeah. unheard of. Don't get to do that. I did. 33, 32, 33 people from all over the world came. A couple of them couldn't even speak very English, like mm-hmm. very fragmented sentences. So I could say they a lot of them probably understood English because they were in the classwork but they but to speak it they they just really struggled we had an assignment um that it was an all-night assignment and you were to stay up all night and you were to produce a whole um magazine whole thing start to beginning the 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 content uh, and you didn't have to write out all the articles but it had to have at least nuts and bolts and and table of contents but then uh, pictures and the photography and you had to find all these things and put it all together and you had a team of like five six people so you have to pick a leader and you have to and you have to present tomorrow morning at 7:30. So and we got the assignment like at 10 o'clock at night. So pretty big, pretty big order to fill yeah. with people you've never met, a couple of them that don't even speak English very well. But luckily, my team member that was from Brazil had fabulous English. She was wonderful. But we get ready to start and we decide what what are we even gonna write our magazine about? What's it gonna be about? We had to come together on that on a, a topic. Right. You know, that was new. So we're getting ready to start. We're all ready to go. We had one lady who was diabetic and said, I have to go home like by like one o'clock in the morning because it, it'll really mess with my insulin if I don't. Okay, so now we're down to like four or five people. And so, okay, we can do this. We have one designer who goes, okay, I'll see you in the morning. And we're like, Where are you? well, I do, be- I do my best work uh, alone. Okay, this is a collaborative project. Yeah. yeah. And you're going to go do your and we're going to have to be really in the trenches tonight together but you do your and best work sync, yeah yeah alone so we would email her <laughs> do this do this layout and we'd take pictures of the other layouts around it so that she kind of have an idea and she did she chose 
to work alone. And so you're always going to have those, you know, people who are going to fight the system, whether it's the technology or whether it's just community. They're not going to participate. But to the end of that, the next morning, we got up. Everybody was exhausted, or we didn't get up. We stayed up. Everybody has their presentation. We got our we got our magazine done. Everybody's out there, and he we didn't even present. We're hmm. like, what? He said, no. The real assignment was what you did as a group, how it worked or how it didn't work. Yeah. yeah. So everybody's sweating bullets about. Okay, <laughs> then not only are we can design. Who's the fastest layout right. designer? Who's who can speak? Who can write? Who will? Who wants to present in the morning? So we're figuring out all these things and our own little internal systems, and <clears throat> excuse me. And then we don't present anything, and it wasn't a letdown because a everybody was exhausted, but b the most important lesson learned was how do we tackle the project and how do we do it together? That was the assignment. So the other was just collateral. So it's very interesting. <laughs> Crazy. Listened to a podcast on the way in to work yesterday, and they talked about teams. And one of the the, the case studies was it's a it's a a large research study that basically where you bring in CEOs, you bring in directors, you bring in doctors, and you put them all in a room, and it's basically to build a tower out of marshmallows. And spaghetti, like dried spaghetti, and kindergartners. You would think, you know, probably the team, and, and they basically have three hours to build. How high can you get this thing? You may intuitively go, oh, well, it's going to be the doctors or it's going to be the CEOs. or Typically, those are the last that in this study, from what I understand, the kindergarten and the kindergartners they described as literally they would number one eat the marshmallows. There was never anything. It was just immediately to build a solution. The crazy piece about it is that we are always trying to position ourselves within that group. Like the individual that wants to go, like I'm going home. That's me. This is me in my position going. Like they don't do that. The more and more I learn about children. And listen to, like, you know, when you go home and you, your kid says, hey, this happened to me today. And you said, oh, no, that didn't. Like, no, really, they're telling you the truth. That actually happened. So in their communities, they are going in and saying, our task is this. We have no positional, we have no knowledge, kindergartners, we have no knowledge of position. I don't know if this person is this or this person is this. They go and build and outperform. I, I It was like. 10, 20, 30% higher towers than what the people who have went through had the you know highest education levels who had worked every day. And it was because they went in and they just looked at each other. They trusted each other. They said, here's our goal. Like, we got to build this tallest thing. I don't know who you are, what you are, wherever it's at. And that, to me, I was like, it just blew. I like, wow. Like, how many times do we walk into a boardroom or we walk into a client meeting or we walk into one of these things and go, okay, like who's, who's this, who's the players at the table, who has to have this conversation, who owns it? You can go to the extreme level and you can go to the extreme ownership, like, you know, reading that book right now as well. And like, this is my project. And if it fails, it's all on me. Like I, if my team fails, it's all on me. But until everybody communicates without any of those layers that we talked about, 
I think that experience is just, it's painful. It is. I think it's preconceived. Yeah. Uh, ideal. Like children go in, they accept their roles, right? I, that's the way I see it. That's the hardest part in our job mm-hmm. is this is your role, but they want to worry about every, everything else. It's like, no. Because that hardest part for architects is I have to have the vision for the whole project. I have yeah. to have to know how all the pieces go together. Yes, that's your piece. Don't worry about this piece. I've got it. You know, I've got it all coordinated. I've got it all thought out. It might be in my head. It might be. And it's communicating that. But it's when the people go, oh, well, now I need my role is much bigger. Yeah. Right? And you're like, no, it's not. Just get this done, please. And yeah. then we can keep moving forward. Don't worry about step 10. We're on step two. Like, that's really a lot of our challenges in our world is like, okay, I get you, you're worried about it, but you don't have to be because it's fine. Yeah. And sometimes people are just like, no, they, they want to, or they want to move up and be the leader, but they don't have the vision. Yeah. Right. To understand all the moving parts and pieces and they get all frustrated. And eh. Whereas I think kids just go, yeah, we're just going to do it. Yeah. Right. They don't really think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's at the end, hours is hours is total. Right. Hours. So, one last thing, one last question. What's one thing you're going like you want to personally experience, which you think will enhance, you know, your work, your life, your family next year? Um, I, I as I kind of mentioned, I'm turning the turning the corner here with a new chapter, and it's it's tying in design, structure, marketing. But it's all rooted in community. And I've done lots of projects in the Children's Museum and Tales and Scales and lots of things in the Evansville area that have helped people. But I've never given myself the task as something as simple as feeding people. Yeah. It's always been about mm-hmm. play or music. And all those things are very important as we grow children and as we, you know, have their experience and journey through life. And, and all of it is really, really important. I don't want to make light of it at all. But this is, um, it's just written in my heart that this is my next chapter. And it's going to be something as simple as feeding people. Yeah, that's awesome. So Tara, where do our listeners connect with you? Um, are you a Insta person first? Are you LinkedIn? Are you digital at all? Do you want them to send you an email? How do you? Uh, how do our listeners find Tara Blessinger? Well, that's interesting. I am, for somebody who works technology and does technology every day, I'm kind of a ghost. I'm out there, but my husband has a profession that kind of helps me um, stay off of medias. It's just in his best interest um, and mine. So in that, email is probably the best. I do all those things, but I dip my toe in more um, as a viewer than a user just yeah. for safety purposes for, for our family. So um, I'm at Tara, T-A-R-A, at BlessingerDesign.com. Great. Mike, any uh, last thoughts as we wrap up this episode of the At 530 on Main podcast? No, I think we could have kept it going another hour, though. But uh, we'll have to know. have Tara back. <laughs> yeah, part yeah. two. Yeah, I said, I told Sean, I said, do you really want me? I really like to talk. Yeah, no, I, I, I hope the, uh, I enjoyed it. I hope the listeners enjoyed it. Um, if you did enjoy this episode of At Five Thirty on Main, please like, share it, tell a friend, um, send them a 
text or just uh, share it through any of the social media platforms, uh, we would appreciate it. Um, this is a new podcast. This is a new uh, journey for Mike, myself, and all the guests, a lot of uh, individuals who have come in. This is the first time they've ever uh, had a conversation on camera, you know, being recorded. And uh, at times it can be uh, a bit nerve wracking, but we appreciate uh, you coming in and spending over an hour with us on the microphone, on camera, and uh, we, uh, we hope that you will come back in the future and we can continue the conversation. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, everyone. See you on the next episode. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of At 530 on Main, hosted by Sean Collins and Mike Davis. Please leave us a review and share your thoughts on today's episode. Let us know how you've been inspired or what you would like to hear on future episodes. And if you've enjoyed the conversation, help us spread the word. Share us on your social channels. Message a friend. Rate the podcast. Without you, this experience would not be possible.